0: You know many Christians go day to day without even giving a thought as to what God wants and that seems to be a norm and one of the uh, one of the verses that you saw on that video um, is one that we typically use for evangelism it, revelation 320 where where it says you know knock and it'll be opened unto you and 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 we we think of that as really being something for non-Christians. But it's not. Because, see, Revelation chapter 2 and 3 was written to the churches. It was written to believers. And, and what it's saying is each day we're supposed to seek him. Each day he knocks on the hearts of our door to get in touch with us. Right? So what we're talking about today is really being a lukewarm Christian, and what does that mean, being a lukewarm Christian? And what we're going to be getting into, I wanted to start with with just this, because this series, which I'm going to title entitle All In, which is the big poster that we have, All In, meaning all in in your Christian walk. Are you all in on this earth? Are you all in in this life, or is this something that you compartmentalize your Christianity? Do you compartmentalize your personal relationship? So we're going to be getting into what does that mean? You know why we we've been. I mean, it's almost like my main theme is about this standing up, going all in for God, being passionate for Him. Every time I seem to do a series, right, you're probably thinking, well, there was radical faith, and there's radical love, and, and it, it's, it's all about this all-or-nothing type thing, right? There's a reason for that. It's because that's what God wants. He is an all-or-nothing God, and that's something that most Christians don't understand, Okay? I'm not talking about our salvation, our justification. I want to point that out at the beginning. But as we get into this series, you're going to understand, you're going to begin to see in Scripture why our walk here on earth is important. It's not just about us. Of course, we say that. But it does affect us. And we're going to get into that. Today, we're talking about being lukewarm. A lukewarm Christian, I'm going to use a lot of scripture, and I want to encourage you to do something. You all have a bulletin. If you don't have a bulletin, then, then raise your hand grab one. But on the message notes side of it, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Acts 17.11 tells us to be as the Bereans. We're to receive with readiness of heart, readiness of mind, what is being said to us, but then we're to go home and we're to prove it out. We're to search scriptures ourselves and prove it out. Prove out what's being said. So today we're going to use a lot of scripture. What I want you to do as you follow along with your Bibles today, I also want you to take the bulletin and just write the scripture reference down. And I'll make sure I give you time to do that. Because this week, as you spend time in the Word of God yourself, in your personal secret place and your time with the Lord. I want you to go through these. I want you to prove out what I'm saying. And I don't mean just for today. I mean about this entire series. At this point, I'm not really sure how long this series is going to be. I know it's going to be at least three weeks. that, That much I know. But I can tell you that you're going to hear some things you've probably never heard before. I know I've been saved now for over 41 years, and there are things that I have learned in the Word of God over the last year and a half in regards to my walk with Him that I had never heard before. In terms of what does it mean in our walk on earth, how does that affect our heavenly presence? How does that affect the time we'll spend with Christ in eternity? See, I used to think it didn't affect it at all. I used to think that, well, when when, we, when we're saved, when we're justified, we take on his righteousness, which is true. And then, so when we go into the kingdom, it's all the same. But what I've learned is that's not at all what the scriptures teach. And I want to encourage you, strongly encourage you, I'm spending time on saying this, So you'll understand what I'm saying is don't believe me. Search it out. I'm going to give you every tool you need to search it out. And I need you to do it. Why? Because it doesn't help you to just believe me. It doesn't help you to just believe what I say. If we're truly a church built on the foundation of being sold out and built on the foundation of being all in, then it can't be my relationship with Christ that this is all based on. It has to be each one of you individually. So I want to encourage you, write down these scriptures, over certainly today, but then each week, and go home, prove out what I say. And if you find me wrong on something, point it out to me. Let me know. Let's. We're digging into Scripture. We're getting. We're going to get into some areas here that perhaps you've never really seen in Scripture this way. I've studied the Word of God for over 25 years, and some of the things that that I have seen over the last year and a half that that have the Holy Spirit has revealed to me about my personal walk with Him is something I've never seen before. I'd seen the verses but I had never understood them in the way that I was supposed to understand them. Because when you apply it to your walk, when you apply it to your relationship instead of corporately, it takes on a very different understanding. And so that's what we're going to begin talking about. I want you to begin by turning to Revelation chapter 3. Now, Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are to the churches. The seven churches that were in existence, in existence at that time. Okay? Now these are not all the churches that were in existence at that time. God picked out seven of them. And I believe He picked them out because they displayed characteristics of many different things. Of the coming age, the dispensation that we're in right now of the Gentiles, Okay, which is the last dispensation before Christ returns. I believe they carry characteristics of what happened throughout that, the last 2,000 years, but it also carries characteristics in our personal lives, in our personal walk with Jesus Christ. And so these applied to the churches back then, the seven churches that these letters were written to, but it applies just as much Today, in our lives, and in our churches. So that's why these are important. We're going to look specifically at the last one. The last one is the Church of Laodicea. And that happens to be in dispens- dispensation where the church is right now. Okay, this, this Church of Laodicea we're going to see was a lukewarm church. And overall, that's where you see the church today. So let's get into this. Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 14 to 21. And then let's dig it, dig into it for a little bit. Lord, I pray that as we open your word, God, we ask you and we beg you to open our eyes. Just as Acts 17.11 says, Help us to receive with readiness of mind and readiness of heart. And Holy Spirit, you are the one that interprets. You are the one that applies. So we ask you, we ready ourselves and we ask you to speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 begins like this. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful, and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. Talking about the church of Laodicea. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm... And neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. And I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. So that you may be rich and white garments so that you may be clothed may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see verse 19 those whom i love i reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent behold i stand at the door and knock If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. See, as we read there, God can't work with neutral. He cannot work with neutral. He would rather you be hot or cold. Let's read that again. Verses 15 and 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Okay, Why in the world... Would God want us to be cold? Why didn't he just say there, I wish you were either, either hot or cold? That is a very interesting thing to study. But to God, if you're lukewarm, you're fake. If you're lukewarm, you are not what you appear to be. You don't appear to be cold. Because if you were cold, he'd know what to do. He would know how to deal with you. He would deal with you just like he would an unsafe person. If you are hot, then he knows what to do with his side of the relationship. He knows what to pour into you. Lukewarm, he cannot deal with. Why? Because it's not honest. It's not real. You know, we talked today, it's a big thing about being real, right? we got to be real. we got to be who we are. You know what, that's exactly what God wants. He wants you to be real. If you are hot, or you are cold, but don't be in the middle. Don't be fake. Because if you're cold, God will deal with you. If you are saved and you have accepted free life from Him, Then he will deal with you in your life. If you're lukewarm, you're fake. You come across with this dishonesty to all your friends, to all the people around you. You may come across like, well, you know, I know God and I'm this and I'm that and I do this at home and I have, you know, I pray for an hour every day at home. When in reality, you don't. See, that's lukewarm. Now, what God would rather you be is hot. He would rather you be on fire for Him. That's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is why. Why does He want that? And I'm going to propose to you right now that you're going to see in Scripture that you're going to do it at some point. If you don't do it in this life. and, And I'm talking to saved people here. I'm talking about people that have accepted Jesus Christ into their heart and are justified fully by grace. That's who I'm talking to. Let me make that clear. Because you're going to find over the next few weeks as we dig into Scripture that at some point you are going to become hot for Jesus Christ. If you don't choose to do that in this life and in this breath, you will be refined during the millennium. You will be refined in ways that will cost you. If you understand rewards in the Bible, you understand that not everybody gets them. You understand what we just read in verse 21. It said, to to the one who conquers... So the one who conquers, I will grant them to sit with me on my throne as Jesus sits with the Father on his throne. He doesn't say, if you accepted my free gift, automatically you will get all of this. What he promises in the free gift is he promises heaven. He promises eternal joy, eternal peace, eternal hope. He doesn't promise the levels of reward. Those all come from us. That's something we've talked about in the past. That's called our sanctification. Our sanctification is what we do with our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what he can't work with is for us to be neutral. For us to say one thing and do another. Let's look at why. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 24 says this. Deuteronomy 4, again you could write these down even if you can't turn to them now. But Deuteronomy 4 verse 24 says this. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God. I don't know about you, but... I like fire. You could tell by our logo. (laughs) And about every logo we do has some sort of fire in it, right? There's a reason for that, by the way. Not just because I'm like fire and perhaps I'm a pyromaniac, okay? It's not that. It's that this verse right here and another one just like it. See, God is an all-consuming fire. If you see what fire does to literally anything, it consumes it completely, It doesn't take it in part. It doesn't take it in, well, I'll just burn the edges. No, a fire that is left to burn will consume completely. When we go to creation, we set the fire at night, and and usually about an hour and a half before we're ready to go to sleep, we'll stop putting wood on the fire. And then by the time we wake up in the morning, there's nothing there. It's completely gone. It is all ash. Because that fire completely consumed what it was placed upon. So if God is an all-consuming fire, and you accept him into your heart, what do you think that's going to do to you? What do you think it's supposed to do to you? It will eventually consume you. He's supposed to. He's supposed to be in every thought. He's supposed to be in every facet of our lives. But one thing we're good at, in the United States anyways, is we're good at compartmentalization. We're good at building this little box over here and saying, this is my God box. And you know what, I'm going to visit it a lot. You know, I'm going to visit it enough so people that know me think that that's my home. And that doesn't even have to be a conscious thought. Because, you know, that's how we're trained. We're trained that you do this, you do that, you do that, you do these things right, and you're a good person. You know, don't do this, don't do that. You've got this list of things that will help people to understand that you love God. And what God is saying on a surface level is... If that isn't your heart, you're lukewarm. You're fake. That's not, if it's not coming out of a relationship with him, if that's just that little compartmentalized box that you keep God in, then he can't consume you. He'll consume everything you place in the box. And then we wonder why on this side we're having problems. We wonder on this side why I can't figure this out, I can't figure that out. I don't have any joy. I don't have any peace. All these things, these fruits of the Spirit, God, that you promise, I don't seem to be having them all the time. We wonder why that's the case. But you have to understand, sometimes these boxes that we put him in, they're fireproof. And that fire only rages within the box. So it's only when we go in that box that he consumes who we are. That's not what he wants. That's lukewarm. That's our controlling our relationship with him. He wants to wildly control the relationship. That's what he wants. He doesn't want there to be any box. He wants access to every part of your life. He wants to because why? He is all-consuming. If there's one thing a fire, an attribute of a fire has, is hunger. It always hungers for more. So just like a fire, God is always hungry for every part of us. Every part we won't let go. Every part we compartmentalize away from Him. He is hungry for every part because he's all-consuming. I want you to turn another verse like this is in Hebrews 12. Let's turn to Hebrews 12. Hebrews twelve twenty-eight. Write that one down. We're going to read 28 and 29. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. And they say this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be seen and shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. See, he's going to consume everything we offer him. He wants us to not hold anything back. I want to give you an example of this. And and you guys are familiar with this, this example Okay, but in the beginning of the church, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, and we'll turn to Acts chapter 5 as I'm setting this up, we, we all know kind of how the beginning of the church started, right? And we had where, where they, they all came together and they all figured out the needs of the church and they all gave and they all took care of each other. Right? Well, there was this couple called Ananias and Spira. This was a particular couple that held a little bit back and didn't say anything. Okay, They were fake in that. They were lukewarm in that. Whether it be that they didn't trust the church or the fact that, that perhaps they were a wealthy couple, I don't know. But whatever, they sold a piece of land and they held a piece back. Which was their right, by the way. What wasn't their right was that they lied about it. What wasn't their right was that they put a facade out there that they were all in, and they weren't. They held something back. So that's how this story sets up. And then Ananias comes before Peter. Peter's given a word of knowledge from the Lord saying that they held something back. And that's where it picks up where we're going to read. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, we're going to read through verse 5, says this. Acts 3, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, say this. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. See, that is an example of what we do every day. See, I want this person to think well of me, so I'm going to say that I do this. And part of it may actually be true, just like Ananias and Sapphira. Part of it was true. They gave. They gave probably the greater portion of what they got. But see, what they let people think was that they gave everything like everybody else did. That's what God couldn't work with. Do you think God could have worked with them if they held the part that they held back, if they just said, we're holding this back because you know we need that little retirement fund. We just feel a little more comfortable with this. We're going to hold this back, but we're giving the major portion. Yeah, the results would have been very different. God would have been able to work on their hearts if He wanted them to give it all. They were being honest in where they were at. And they could have, He could have dealt with them on that. Instead, they lied about it. They wanted people to believe something that was not. And God couldn't work with that. God can't work with lies. Because see, the enemy, Satan is the father of lies. God cannot if you want God in your life to be preeminent, He cannot work with dishonesty. dishonesty amongst the body, but more than that, dishonesty to him. Because more times than not, we're dishonest to ourselves. Oh, I think I know this is a problem, but I, you know I got, I got this handled. I can could, I could deal with this. This really doesn't have that much effect. We tell ourselves things like that all the time. No matter what it is. See, when we try to kid God in that way, He can't work with us. He won't work with lies. But He will work with someone that says, God, I have this issue. I so desperately want for you to fix it in my life. And I submit myself to you to do it. See, now he can work with that. And what may be cold can become hot. Because there's no falsity there. There's no lies there. There's just an openness for him to work. So that's what Ananias and Sapphira found. God couldn't work Unless there was a real relationship. Now how do we find ourselves neutral? You know, when you, depending on when you're saved in life, many who get saved later in life had a, have a dramatic change in their life. You know, there is a, a 180 degree turnaround when they get saved because of where they were beforehand. Then you have others, honestly like myself. I got saved at the age of nine. I grew up in a Christian home, and I didn't really notice any difference from when I was eight to when I was ten. You know, there wasn't really a difference. Okay, but how do we find ourselves going from passionate for God, from just getting saved or raised that way, to being neutral? There has to be a declining moment there. Because when we're saved, we're washed completely. When we're saved, we're overwhelmed by his presence. The fact that we did not have a relationship, now we have a relationship. That's overwhelming. So how do we become neutral in a situation like that? I want you to go back to Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to keep referring back, if you want to keep a little marker in there or something, we're going to keep referring back to Revelation chapter 3, to this church in Laodicea. So how do we find ourselves neutral? Well, we have our answer to that in verse 17. It says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. So oftentimes we... Get things under control, then we don't need him anymore. You know, I if if sometimes people who are saved later in life, you know, they're saved out of some pretty rough things. Well, I got that under control now, so I don't need to worry about that anymore. And instead of pressing on in a relationship to new levels of closeness with him. It was more of the understanding that I just have to take care of what was bad. And now that that's taken care of, I don't really have to worry about that anymore. But see, it couldn't be more the opposite in our relationship with Christ. Because especially through sin, once a sin door is opened in our life, it's always going to be there. Do you understand? We live in a fleshly body. We live in a fallen vessel. That vessel does not change or be glorified when we're saved. That glorification does not come until after we have breathed our last breath. Because one day we will. One day we will not be clothed in this fleshly body. One day our bodies will be glorified just as we breathe our last breath. Our bodies will be glorified. We will be not have this shell of this sinful nature anymore. But that will not happen here on this earth. Why? Boy, it it would just be so much easier if our bodies would be glorified the second we got saved. Right? But as you're going to understand over the next few weeks... Our justification was not the important part to God. That was the keys to the kingdom, if you will. That was the ticket to heaven. That was what allowed Him to even work with us. See, because the Father cannot, He cannot look on sin. So we could not even work with Him without that justification, which is what we call salvation. Okay, but salvation, as we're going to study this, is broken down into three categories. And we've talked about this before. We talked about this a couple of months ago. You have your justification, which is what we all think of as salvation. You have your sanctification, which is how you live your life in your relationship with Jesus Christ from the second you are justified, the second you're saved, to the second you breathe your last. And then the third part of salvation is our glorification. Our glorification comes after we breathe our last. And we go to be with him. So how do we find ourselves neutral? Verse 17 just said, For I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. When you don't need something or you don't realize you need something, you don't pay attention to it anymore, right? So if you're looking at God as someone who just meets your needs and yet you're able to meet your needs here on earth through either yourself or he met them for you and it's done, If, if you're looking at it that way, then you don't need him anymore. If you don't realize that your relationship with him is what's needed, you know, it's it's not that well I need to I need to make my mortgage I need to make my car payment you know I, I, I need to have peace in my relationships you know I, I need these things I have all these physical needs forget the wants for now but I have all these physical needs as they're met does that mean you don't need him anymore no you you may you may truly not need that provision anymore. Does that have anything to do with your personal relationship with Him? No. We will always need Him because our relationship—it's always to be growing. It's always to becoming to to become more intimate. Those of you who are married or have had a relationship, you know, a, a strong relationship like marriage for a long time, understand that. You can't just work on it for the first month. And then, yeah, we got that down now. We're good. I've been married for almost 27 years. And I can tell you from experience it doesn't work that way. If I don't invest everything I am into my relationship with Alexis now and continue to do that, then one, it's going to go backwards. And two, there are levels of joy that I'll never experience. There are levels of joy that she and I have yet to experience together because we're still breathing. We still have upward momentum to go. We will never reach the pinnacle of possibilities in a relationship here on earth. It's impossible. It's impossible to reach the level of intimacy that is maxed out. Now, if that's the case between Alex and I in an earthly relationship, don't you think it's the same way with our relationship with Christ and more so? So why do we settle for the bullet points? Why do we settle for, well, you know, I, I, I got, got my bills are paid, and I, I, I got joy, and I got some decent relationships, and, and I got this, this, you know, all these things. Why do we settle for that? If you really had a kingdom eye, if you really understood what is coming in the afterlife, you wouldn't settle for that. And that's what I'm hoping to talk about over the next few weeks, is what does that look like? What are we going to feel? What are we going to understand? What are we going to experience the second we take our last breath? Because eternity, compared to now, life's a blip on the screen. Compared to eternity, this life is almost non-existent. And yet, God says that this is where our sanctification happens. This is where we draw close to Him. This is where we have relationship with Him and learn how to love Him. See, because up there we don't need faith. He said, when you have me, you don't need faith anymore. I'm standing right there in front of you. It's down here that we need faith. Faith is the main ingredient to our sanctification. Faith is the main ingredient to our increasing levels of relationship with Jesus Christ. can't do it without faith. It's kind of like when you're baking something and flour is the main thing. It's not the part that makes it taste good, but it's the part that makes everything work. Can't do, can't bake bread without flour. And I I won't use too many metaphors because I really don't know how to cook. (laughs) But you get what I'm saying. If you leave Jesus Christ out of parts of your life, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be what he wants you to have. He wants to be in every area of your life. So we find ourselves becoming neutral. I want you to turn to 1 John. Because what are some of the things that make us neutral in our Christian walk? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Again, 1 John. Write it down. Chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now don't replace that word love with enjoy, okay? Don't get in your mind that by loving the Father, that means I can't enjoy things here on earth. That means I cannot enjoy a good football game. Okay, I can't enjoy going out and doing something fun. Riding motorcycles. Fred's a motorcycle rider. He loves that. Okay, Well, you know what? Don't read into this that to love God, he can't love that. Because God gives us things to enjoy here. He gives us things to even enjoy in fellowship here. What it's talking about in in terms of loving the world, it's setting your eyes on the world. Am I setting my dreams, my hopes, my goals, my vision on things of this world? You know, my career, my relationships, everything that I'm doing, my children. Am I setting my eyes on those things, or am I setting my eyes on Jesus Christ and my relationship with Him who then affects all those things? See, it's a subtle difference, but the effect is huge. The effect of difference is huge in that. If we set our eyes on our relationship with Him, then we'll never love the world. We can't. Why? Because He's not in the world, He is not of the world. I want you to turn to Titus chapter 1. Again, we're talking about why people become neutral in their Christian walk. Titus chapter 1, verse 16 says this. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. See, that to me is fake. Why do we become neutral? It's the fakeness sometimes in our life. Well, we profess to follow God. I profess to follow him in this area. But in reality, that's not what happens. You see, the world sees that, by the way. But you know what? So does God. That would, that's what brings us to a neutral position in that. Because I'm, I say I'm doing one thing, I'm following God in this area, but in reality I don't. So it forces me to become neutral. We have a lot of those things in our lives. And I think the person that we kid is ourself. We don't kid anybody else. The person we kid is ourself. And that brings us to a neutral position. Have you ever, anybody in here just have you ever driven a stick shift? I love stick shift, right? Okay, I grew up on a stick shift. It was awesome. My dad. <laughs> those of you, you can picture this in him. Okay, he was a Marine for 20 years, and my first car was a three-speed 1975 Jeep CJ5, the most awesome car in the world. And he took me out, I I got my my permit at 15 and a half, and he took me out in Colorado and takes me to this back road, and he stops right on a hill, going up. Okay, I'd never done it before. And luckily there was nothing around, but he puts on the emergency brake and he said, let's switch here. I'm I'm thinking, would have been a lot easier if you'd have been pointing down, right, Okay. And, and so I had to learn how to feather the clutch and move up and all that. But anybody who has driven a stick shift and you're driving along and it pops out of gear, what happens? It doesn't go anywhere. It stops forward movement from the engine. The engine's not engaged anymore. You may get some roll, you may be, you may get some forward momentum, and some roll, but eventually it's going to come to a stop. Why? Because you just popped into neutral. You haven't engaged the very engine that propels you. That's the Christian walk. Oftentimes we will pop it into neutral, or if you drove a 75 CJ5, it would pop into neutral itself. (laughs) You had to kind of hold it there. Okay? Sometimes when that pops into neutral, though, we don't pay attention. We don't care because we're still going in the direction. we got some forward momentum. And then all of a sudden we find that we're not engaged. We're not engaged in our relationship with him. What used to be, you know, spending a lot of time in the word has come down to, man, I'm trying to get my verse in a day. You know, thank goodness for iPhone. It sends me my verse a day. And and I don't want to cheapen that. Okay, I don't mean to cheapen that. But if that's all you want out of God, man, I just feel sorry for you. I feel bad for you. Because he has so much more that he wants to show you. And we get in our own way. We... Ourselves become neutral. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. Again, this is all about finding ourselves in this neutral position. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, says this. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. See, that's where Ananias and Spyro were. And what was sad is it was something they didn't even have to lie about. It was something that they wanted people to think differently of them than what was really there. So 1 John 2 says, and this is what many Christians say, we know him. We know him. And what the Greek there is talking about is intimately know him. We have relationship. Not just that, yeah, we were introduced. That's not the inference here. The inference here is that there is relationship. So we say we have relationship with Jesus Christ, but yet we don't obey him. And what does God call that? He says you're a liar. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand, because there are religions and there are people that then say, let's work up this list of things that we need to do, and, and if we just do this list, then, then that makes us good, and that shows that we know Him. I grew up that way. That's called legalism. Okay, I had a relationship with Jesus Christ, but it was more about... Doing the list of do's and don'ts. It wasn't about relationship. And if we understand in the Word of God, we taught two weeks ago about what are His commandments. He said it, He simplified it. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second one is like the first love your neighbor as yourself. Is love displayed in your life? That's what he's talking about here. Whoever says, I know him, but does not show love, does not show love in their relationship to Jesus Christ and God, the Father, or to those around him. If they don't show love in those areas, then they're liars. They don't know him. They, They may have received his grace, but again, to know Him is to have relationship with Him. It goes beyond justification. As we study next week and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that there are going to be people in heaven that got there by the skin of their teeth because they were justified. They knew to believe Jesus Christ, accept Him into their heart as Savior, but then they lived their life however they wanted to. We're going to find the Word of God talks about those people. Verifies they will be in heaven, but they will be at loss. I want to encourage you, what we're talking about today, to let it open your eyes, to not compartmentalize your Christianity. Don't compartmentalize it to certain times or certain parts of your life. It is your life. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're trying to pursue that relationship, it's like any other. If you've met somebody and you're working toward, when Alexa when and I met, and by the way, the day I met her, I knew she was going to be my wife. She didn't know. She liked my best friend at the time. But that's okay. That's okay. I knew. Now, I didn't just start to like her, get her to like me. And, okay, well, she likes me now. Awesome. We're done. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't work that way. She probably would have married my friend. I had to pursue her. I had to pursue a relationship with her. She became everything that I thought about every day, all the time. It consumed me. That's what a relationship with Jesus Christ is supposed to do. Because he is an all-consuming fire, the only time he will not consume all of us is if we compartmentalize him in a fireproof box. And we do that so easily. And see, he'll never force his way in. Because he wants us to yield. Because sanctification is up to us. Our salvation, our justification by grace, a hundred percent, is what he did on the cross. It's a free gift. The only thing we did... For our justification is to say, yes, Lord, please come into my heart. I recognize the need for you. Forgive me, come into my heart. That was 100% grace. That was 100% on him. What he did for us. But then the sanctification begun. And that part is relationship. That, now that's not 100% us either. That's relationship. As I developed a relationship with my, with, with Alexis, my wife, it wasn't that I did everything. Okay, now she said yes, now she's my wife, so now I do everything. That's not sanctification either. Sanctification is understanding, learning, growing your relationship with Jesus Christ. So, over the years, I developed with my wife into what we have today. And same with our relationship with Christ. We develop into that. And you know what? We're not going to move past this. I'm going to move this, push this to next week because otherwise I'll have you here another hour. (laughs) I want to stop there for now. But I want to put some thoughts in your mind. Something we're going to be talking about next week. Just turning up the heat. The heat in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to think in terms of what He wants you to do. Because that's immediately where our mind goes. Well, I want a deeper walk with Him. So, okay, um, uh, maybe I need to do something then. I know Fred and I were talking this morning, we're, we're going to be restarting up the, the prayer walks and, and, and evangelizing. Okay, so I, I need to do that then. Maybe I need to do that. I want to caution you not to think that way right now. That sort of thing is supposed to come as an outflow of your relationship with Christ. Otherwise, you're just doing. Otherwise, your reward is here on earth. See, the only thing that is rewarded in heaven is what we do out of relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want you to think about this this week. In my walk with him, how do I turn up the heat? If he's an all-consuming fire and I'm not letting him out of this fireproof box, what do I do? How do I do it? What does it mean... When I open the door and let that fire out, I want you to think about that this week. Let's bow our heads.